It's Monday, which means it's time for Cross Defense. Thanks for tuning in to this show here at KFUO.org. Or if you're listening on the radio dial, 8.50 a.m. in the St. Louis metro area, it's good to be with you again. Another week, another topic. Today, we're going to talk politics. We're going to talk our social interaction, how we engage with our own society. Christians are not in a vacuum. We don't exist in, on an island. We actually live and work and play among our neighbors, and not every single one of them is a Christian. Not every single one of them agrees with us. And so talking about how we interact with each other and, and what the church can be doing to proclaim the good news and to enter the conversation is important. We're going to do that today, but before I forget, let me tell you what this show is all about. We're, we're here to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul all with God's Word. Why? Because we have a fierce foe out there. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, admission counselor here at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And today's guest is the Reverend Christopher Toma, pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Heartland, Michigan. Let's say hello. Pastor Toma, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing fine. Thanks, Tyrell. Thanks for inviting me on. Thanks for taking the time to come on, especially because of what you're... Uh, you got going on at the church right now. You just you just got done with quite the events. Is that right? Yeah, we just had a, a full weekend of of several events. On this past Saturday, we had our the Body of Christ in the Public Square conference, um, which is an all day conference, and we have speakers come in from around the country uh, to talk to different topics uh, that deal with life, religious liberty, um, marriage, natural law, things like that. Um, we had um, on Saturday, um, Sheriff David Clark uh, was the keynote. Um, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin spoke. Uh, Danielle D'Souza Gill, uh, Dinesh D'Souza's daughter, just came out with a new book. Uh, she's a friend of the congregation. Um, she spoke. Um, I spoke. And then uh, Tim Gagline uh, from Focus on the Family was here as well. And then the very next day, Saturday, we had a banquet where we celebrated our 40th anniversary as a day school, um, our congregation as a day school, uh, tuition-free uh, preschool through eighth grade school. And uh, Dinesh D'Souza keynoted that um, for us. Uh, and then uh, on Monday, we hosted a debate between Dinesh uh, and Michael Shermer, who's the editor-in-chief of Skeptic Magazine. Um, and uh, that went very, very well, had a sold-out I had a sold-out gymnasium, uh, nearly uh, about a third filled with high school students, which I was glad to see, uh, wow. who had come to engage and uh, be a part of that discussion. So, so we're uh, we this last weekend was very very busy, uh, and we're of course we're in the middle of another week now, where we're we're continuing a lot of other things. So yeah, I know uh, you're always busy. You're always working on great stuff, and I got to tell you, as a member of the same. Church, I appreciate all the work you do, which is exactly why I wanted to have you on. Because not only are you really good at what you do in leading the way in the church, engaging in the public square, in part of that being good at that, you do it with boldness, but also with friendliness. You, you know, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that. I've seen pictures following you on, on Facebook, seen pictures, especially from the debate, where you and both the debaters 
were enjoying a nice uh, adult beverage afterward with smiles on your faces. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was nice. Um, after, um, let's see, uh, Michael Shermer had discovered that I have written a couple of books about whiskey, <laughs> and he's a bourbon fan. So um, after the debate, we uh, Dinesh and myself and Michael had decided we were going to sit down and, and sip uh, some good whiskeys and sit and just talk about stuff. And it, it was a nice time. We spent about an hour or so together. And um, uh, but it, but again, it was uh, Michael had mentioned that night that what we were doing uh, here at Our Savior for this debate was to be the model of discourse. Um, he, he said that this is this is the way it should play out. Um, opposite points of view, being able to come together to discuss and to dialogue and to be open to and be asked questions. Uh, from both perspectives to probe, because in the end, that's how you're going to garner knowledge. That's how you're going to get smarter in these topics. And, and whether you want to embrace a new topic or whether you want your own substance to be fuller, uh, you can't do it uh, in the midst of contention. It's At least it's a lot harder. So um, we, we try to make this happen in a way that's going to be, um, it, it's going to provide the fullest experience for everyone. Well, and you're doing a great job at it. I know in the years past, you've had uh, headliners such as Ben Shapiro, which I think listeners all will recognize. If they don't recognize these other uh, speakers, which they should, but if they don't, they should definitely recognize Ben Shapiro. Um, how did this all start? Just tell us, okay, you're you're a pastor of a church in Michigan. Now, how how are you getting these kind of speakers to come? What made you want to do this? Just tell us the origin of this whole thing. Well, I had no intention of ever being in what I'm in right now. Um, okay. Like any other pastor out there, we're ordained and we, we get sent out into the congregations to to serve accordingly. And the Lord, of course, opens doors based on where you are and you know what you're doing. Um, I happened to be—I I had one uh, person in government continue to sort of urge me to get involved a little bit more in what was going on around me. And again, I had no interest, but I did end up getting an invitation out to Washington, D.C., where I sat in on uh, some very, <clears throat> excuse me, some various committee things and, and was in some debriefings and, you know, things like that. And um, But it was actually an experience in front of the Supreme Court building that that stirred me to recognize I'd better get involved. And I'd better do whatever I can to help other guys get involved, too, because things are coming uh, that we may just assume are never going to happen, but actually are. And and so if you've got time, I'll tell you the story. It's not we got long. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm on my way over to the Capitol building and I'm standing in front of the Supreme Court, uh, actually walking up to the stoplight that's there. And uh, and there are. Uh, two lawyers who are standing there and I, I don't know their lawyers, but they're wearing suits and they're watching me as I come up and uh, believe it or not, they were bold enough to simply say to me, um, when I, once I got to the stoplight, cause I'm wearing my collar and they obviously know, um, I represent the church. Uh, they essentially start the conversation by saying something along the lines that I'm what's wrong with America. Um, so it was a very bold conversation and, um, but we spent probably the next 20 minutes, um, standing there at that stoplight, um, as each as each light turned, you know, we could have crossed, but we didn't. But we stood there and we talked, and then eventually we did cross the street. But by the time, you know, we started as enemies. But by the time we got across the street, <laughs> we knew each other's positions, and we were no longer enemies, but friends. We were just at opposite ends, and I was able to explain to them, I'm not in Washington. First of all, I'm not in Washington D.C. because I wanted to be here. I was invited. Um, but second of all. 
Um, I'm not here to impose anything upon you, but I am here to learn more about how the world is imposing upon the church and what I can do to protect our religious liberty. So it was sort of in that moment that I knew I, I had better get engaged because these guys are guys who are assistants to the major policymakers in our country, and their drive is to crush the church. Wow. That's their goal. They, they want the church out of the public square, out of the public dialogue. And, uh, and, and we belong there. We're, we belong in those discussions. So, so it was sort of that that got me started. And ever since then, I've been, uh, I have met various people who've connected me with someone else and who's connected me with someone else. And I eventually found myself in conversations with Dennis Prager and, of course, Ben Shapiro and, and Dinesh D'Souza. Someone, Dinesh, somebody uh, who's a very close friend of mine now, I, I uh, consider him a good friend, uh, he and his wife, Debbie. Um, but you have, have found myself talking in spheres that I never would have expected. But ha but in the end, how did we get these conversations going? It was a substantive, I think, a, a need for a substantive discussion from people in the trenches, not just public speakers with personalities, but people who have sort of a knowledge of what's going on and have a, a theology that's actually capable of handling it rather than having kind of a zealotry about us. We have a theology in the Lutheran Church that is very, very solid and actually um, serves as the underpinnings for a lot of what our, our early American fathers uh, used in formulating our understanding of church and state, which we're now losing. We're now losing all of these things. So Lutheranism has a lot to offer. A lot of these people who are making national decisions understand that. Uh, and I just so happen to find myself dropped in the middle of it and able to to talk with them about it and share with them and, and, and lead and then try to influence other Lutheran pastors, uh, if possible, to lead and to be ready. You, you mentioned that we have a theology that can handle it. In your interaction, in this public square conversation, are you finding that other Christian denominations are lacking in vocabulary and in, in the language that is needed? Well, I am finding that. I think, and I again, I think that's one of the things that attracts um, some of the tier one thinkers that we work with to the discussion with guys like me um, is because we we know our doctrines and we we're able able to delineate particular things that in other denominations and other circles of the more evangelical circles, not that they're off their wagon or anything, but um, are more inclined to send people off in the direction of dominionism. You know, where uh, Christians have to take over the government if we want this country to be good. You know, mm. only Christians can rule. Well, you know, technically speaking, just a quick scan of history, you'll see how that's always been a huge, huge mistake. I mean, it just never <laughs> works out. Um, and, but there's a reason for that, and, and the Lutherans know what that reason is. It, it was essentially—it's uh, it, biblical, of course, but Luther took time to delineate it, he to compartmentalize in it so that we understand it, and it's the two kingdoms doctrine, the kingdom of the left and the kingdom of the right. Um, so Lutherans bring that to bear, an understanding there, when a lot of the, again, the, the more evangelical circles are just kind of more interested in pushing um, pushing for that dominionist mentality. Now, not all of them do that, sure. not, not all of them, but um, I do see that as a tendency in those circles, and I think um, when that starts happening, while the people who are making the decisions or, again, some of these tier one national speakers kind of are, ma are making their speeches, they'll entertain those thoughts, but they also see them as too shallow. And Lutheranism goes deeper, um, can, can provide better solutions and better direction. Wow. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. I think for all pastors listening, uh, lay people who want to get their churches involved, that right there is a good motivation, uh, just in my well, thought. You know, an interesting thing too, Tyrell, is that um, we started doing this uh, Body of Christ in the Public Square conference. Um, I, I want to say it was 2004, 2000, oh, maybe not that long. I, I don't remember when we started. We've been doing it for a while. Um, but I started it off as um, with the goal of getting more Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastors to engage, because for the most part, we're not. We're just not. You know, the evangelical circles are. They're very engaged. Um, but the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, with its wonderful theology, is just not engaged. We're kind of sitting off on the sidelines. And so my goal was to get more pastors, more teachers, more lay folks uh, from the LCMS involved. But what I found, and I'm still finding today in 2020, is that for the most part, the LCMS pastors reject the idea. They don't wow. want to be part of any of this. So so they've, in many ways, have turned out to be some of my biggest foes or my biggest uh, challenges. Really? But the conference itself has not fallen flat, even with that as its goal. What I have seen happen is the folks in the evangelical circles are gravitating toward the substance that they're getting, and they're actually finding themselves aligning with the Two Kingdoms doctrine with the, with the thicker, deeper uh, <laughs> Lutheran theology. So, um, and, and one of the places I see this is in the fact that even in my own congregation, folks from Baptist Church, from Methodist Church, from Presbyterian Church, from these other churches are coming to our Savior to get what we have. So, um, so in one sense, it's been almost an, even, an evangelism tool, you know, to kind of say, here, you, you know, this is good what you're doing, but here's, a, here's some better grass to feed on. I mean, this is really good stuff. And uh, so it's kind of funny uh, how, how the goal has changed. We've turned into more of an influencer in the community rather than an influencer of our own synod, which was our goal. Um, so, is, so and I just kind of kind is, of roll along with it. Is Heartland or is uh, your area of Michigan? Is it known for political discourse? I mean, is it very uh, active? Not well. I mean, we have. Uh, I live in or I work in Livingston County of Michigan, which is uh, right in the heart of the Eighth District, Congress, Congressional Eighth District, um, which is a contested seat this year. It's all. It sometimes goes back and forth. Um, and we do have strong political personalities in, in our uh, state and federal government in this area. But it's really not, um, I don't suppose it would be much different than any other sort of metro city um, type area. So how do your um, people... We're, when located, we're right out in the middle of farmland. I mean, we're not okay. really uh, so in this city. When you first got started with this um, and you pitched the idea, you, you're talking to your your congregation about hosting this, which has now become an annual event. I imagine not everybody was just seeing, you know, on the same level. I imagine there were members of the congregation who were like, well, pastor, I don't know if we want, really want to start talking politics. The church isn't supposed to be doing that, all these sorts of things, right? How right. did you navigate those waters? Maybe give us a little tip of that, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back and talk more about that. But Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's a, that's a deep piece. It took time. It takes time. And again, I was not intent on doing anything that I'm doing. Sure. So in one sense, I can sort of point to the Lord's hand and say, he provided the pathways, provided the relationships, provided the connections. And I simply catechized as I, as I went along the way, making sure I'm communicating to my congregation, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm learning. That's a big part of it is, guys, I'm going to learn and I'm bringing it back to you. Uh, and the congregation, so that we know as a congregation, but then eventually the congregation, I think, along the way, and I can go into that more after the break, um, learned how important it is to take what it is that we've learned 
and make sure the community around us, no matter which denomination it is, if we're dealing with religious liberty issues, no matter which denomination, uh, is is working with the same information we have so that they're wise too. So the congregation has sort of grown into it right alongside me. As long as I've communicated, as long as I've uh, uh, catechized them and talked through the issues with them, we've been able to walk together as a Christian community and uh, become what it is that we've become now, uh, which is, uh, I think, in many ways, uh, when it comes to the religious liberty issues, a, a city on a hill in a lot of ways. I mean, we're, we're, we're affecting legislation uh, for the United States. We're, you know, we're, we're chain, we're, we are affecting the national election in many ways. Um, we were uh, given credit by uh, one particular uh, congressman for helping turn Michigan red. Um, which is a big deal. So, uh, and in a lot of issues, the road to the White House goes right through Michigan and we're playing a part of that. So, and it's not a prideful thing. It's simply being faithful. Here we are with the tools we have being faithful and the congregation is doing it. They're, they're engaged in it. So when I can tell you more after the break. All right. Well, great segue. Let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll let you tell us some more. You're listening to Cross Defense here at KFUO.org. I'm Reverend Tywell Bramwell, and our guest today is the pastor, Christopher Toma, of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Heartland, Michigan. We'll be right back. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more about classical Lutheran education at Faith Plano, visit flsplano.org. That's flsplano.org. We're back from the break. Thanks for sticking with us. You're listening to Cross Defense on KFUO.org. Or if you're in the St. Louis metro area, 8.50 a.m., that's where you're at on your radio dial. I am the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, an admission counselor here at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And our guest today is Pastor Christopher Toma, uh, the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Heartland, Michigan. They have recently, just this past weekend, held their annual the body of christ in the public square conference is that, i think that's what you call yeah. it conference uh it is a great event that i'm looking forward to now that i'm back in the midwest looking forward to participating in attending uh next year and i would encourage anyone who's uh within driving distance or wants to buy that plane ticket or whatever just stay stay tuned you're going to want to check out our savior's website chris can you tell us real quick the address to that yeah, it's uh, OurSaviorHeartland.org. So make sure you write that down, OurSaviorHeartland.org, and keep track of what's going on there so that you're in the loop when it gets well, closer. One, one thing I should, I got to interrupt you, Tyrell. Yeah, yeah. One, thing, one thing that we do not do is broadcast this on our website. Okay. And, and the reason that we don't is because um, over the years I have become a target. So ah. you don't um, even you don't even announce like the dates coming or anything. No, no, oh, I don't. Oh, I don't. Okay. We don't put any of that stuff. Well, well scratch what I just up. said. Yeah, we do put on there um, images and videos of the presentations from past conferences. Ah, okay. But we don't we don't make it easy to find. How do um, people and, if if pastors or any listeners are are wanting to come next year? How do they how do they find you? 
Well, um, they, one, they got to watch social media. One, okay. uh, two, they got to be listening to things like this. Okay. Three, they got, I have a pretty extensive um, network that gets a lot of emails from me because um, I'm always writing or sending something out. Yes, you are. Um, if they're interested in connecting on this issue, um, it, again, it's grown very organically over the years. Love they it. should they should just call the church or send me an email and say, hey, can I get involved? Uh, can I get okay. the information on this? And I'd also say, too, that if anybody is out of state, uh, anybody is away, namely a pastor um, or a church leader in some way, and would like to come, um, I'll I will give them complimentary uh, tickets to come. Um, the, they can ca- tra- ca- uh, handle all their travel and everything. But if you've got a pastor or somebody in church leadership that wants to be at this thing, I will make it so that they can be there, there uh, and engage all right. this way. Well, that's um, what I just, wanted to get out there. Good. Thanks for interrupting me because I just assumed for this kind of a conference with these kind of headliners that you were going to have to promote the, you know, the Dickens out of this. But you're actually letting it do its own thing, and that's good. it does its own thing. And Love we it. don't. Um, we by the way the way that we do it, we're getting very good at it. Um, it there are, are ways that the information gets out so people can find out about it. But we also protect ourselves from groups like Antifa, mm. from uh, folks who would be protesting particular speakers. Um, we don't, we have a very, uh, we have a significant security team that works with us. We have the local, uh, sheriff's department knows all about it and they know to come and keep an eye on things. Um, we don't want, um, we want it to be a conference where people can come and learn and learn safely. And also the speakers come because they know, um, that we're sort we're in one sense, we're sort of flying under the radar, uh, in order to accomplish what we're doing and they're not going to be in jeopardy either. Awesome. because, I mean, you know, when you got Ben yeah. Shapiro at, at someplace like uh, Berkeley, you know, and yeah. they had to spend $100,000 on his security team just to keep him safe and people are destroying things. Uh, these are the level of speakers we have coming and right. we don't want that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, well, good, uh, good, good. Thanks for the interruption because uh want that clarity. And uh, y'all heard it. You heard what, he, what the man said. You want to send your pastor to this conference? Complimentary tickets. You want to get involved? call the church there are ways and and you're in if you're in the missouri synod it's you know pastor toma is a phone call away uh, that's how easily connectable we are so good 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 hey before the break right. we we're talking about how the congregation was coming along how this got started you gave us a, an overview of how all this got started and you were starting to speak about um the identity of the congregation and how what you guys are doing and how things you, you've been catechizing along the way and communicating well and that was central Tell us a little bit more about that process and, and what it's done to the congregation and even the community at large. You were telling us about that as, as well. Well, one of the, you had mentioned before, one of the issues um, that we face as pastors uh, in the congregation is that there, are those, there will be those folks who find themselves concerned about the topics being discussed and, and ta- um, being concerned about the appropriateness of them being brought up maybe in a Bible study or shared from the pulpit. Um, one thing folks need to know um, as about me personally is that I don't, you know, I don't get up and tell us or, or, or tell a story or write a sermon about. Um, let's say I, I don't get up in a pulpit intending to talk about abortion. That's like I'm going to tell a sermon all about uh, pro-life or something. I don't do that. Um, I work with the texts from the lectionary. But the more engaged I've become, the more I see where the texts naturally talk about these things, where where these things can be brought in. And, you know, in a homiletical sense, pastors are to be thinking in these ways. So there are opportunities in the text to touch on these in a very organic and a very natural and a very sermonic way uh, and, and be faithful. Um, but then the second thing, 
uh, when you when you first sort of drop that word into a sermon, you know, abortion, or you first drop that that sentence into a sermon saying uh, a Christian is obligated to vote a certain way, of course, people kind of step back a little bit and wonder. Um, but I, I have tried to take as much time as I can uh, to be as deliberate as I can in showing and teaching and catechizing how all of these things, while the while the world might say that they own these topics, they're Christological issues. They're all Christological issues. So the more you spend time talking to your people about the Christological aspects of these things, how they how they meet with Christ, the easier the task becomes to bring them up in ways where you can have open discussion with your people and you can find them now engaging, but also not just engaging, but actually um, exuding that, uh, what I think called uh, is an otherworldly courage to actually go and be the salt and go and be the light in the community around them. So, um, but if the pastor is not doing this, um, you can forget about it. If, if he's too afraid to, to make these connections and talk about these things, you can forget about ever uh, carrying your congregation into these topics and helping them with them. And oh, Tyrell, they need it. They need the help. We all need the help understanding these topics. Um, well, there was a study. Um, I don't want to keep prattling on here, but um, there was a study. I was actually present when it was unveiled. Um, David Barton, I believe, had a hand in um, commissioning it. It was uh, through Barna. And the study um, essentially w was something like 4,000 pastors were asked um, if they believe the Bible dealt with particular topics like abortion, um, even things like immigration, you know, all, all these different things. Some of those things are negotiables, but there are the hard stop ones of abortion, LGBTQ issues, you know, that kind of stuff. So they asked this this big group of pastors if they believe the Bible even talked about it. Ninety percent of them said that it does. Hmm. Um, but now stopping there for a second, 10 percent said it didn't. So that's an issue. But that can be, you know, whatever. We kind of know who those folks are. Uh, but then they asked a follow-up question. They said, uh, how many of you actually preach or teach on these topics? Only 10% said that they do. So 90% said that the Bible speaks to these topics, but only 10 of that 90 say they, that they teach and preach on those topics. That they actually engage with their people on these issues. Oh, my goodness. So you've got, um, you've got a tiny percentage of Christian pastors uh, who are actually even bringing these things to their people. So now when their people are out there, and we already know this stuff's being shoved down our throats, they have no substance for dealing with them. Um, and so so it is the job of the pastor, and I take this very seriously, um, to to not, shy, not tiptoe through the tulips on the issues, not shy away from it, but to steer right into it with my people, because that's what the world is going to do. They're gonna, it's going to steer right into them. They have to understand critical race theory. They have to understand the distinctions of life. They have to understand what's going on uh, in their country with regard to the impositions on natural law, the twisting, the confusing of these things. They have to know these things. It's affecting their kids. It's affecting colleges. It's affecting their families. Uh, and if they don't even know the points of origin for discussion, how are they going to navigate that? And let alone navigate it from a biblical perspective. That um, I can't even begin to tell you how important this is. Uh, we're we're coming up on an election, right? Politics right. are all around us. Some people, some Christians would say, and and we'd I'd love your wisdom on this and for our listeners' sake. Some would say, I hear about this stuff every other day. I just don't want my pastor to bombard me with it on Sunday. How do how do we approach it with that viewpoint in mind? Well, you've already mentioned it. You're already talking about it. 
but just yeah. to just to nail the head, you know, just to hit it on the on the head of the nail. How do if, we do if, that? If you're going to hear about it from anybody, it should be your pastor. You're going to get the the noise out there in the world around you. You're just going to get it. Um, But who should you be hearing it from? You should be hearing it from your pastor. You should be hearing it from the voice of the Savior. Uh, The one, uh, your your pastor stands in the stead and by the command of that Savior. So there's nothing we can do about the fact that the world is inundated with this, this nonsense out there. But so that right there is the problem. The identifying of the solution is where are we going to find the clarity to navigate it? It should be the pastor. The and pastor should be the one. Many pastors don't want in our in our church body don't want to deal with these things. Is it because they're afraid? Is it because they're afraid they're going to drive people away? Or, or do yes, they... it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's an easy enough qu- answer. Um, I, I think personally, there are three there are three reasons why pastors are fearful of these things. Uh, the first reason I would say. Um, is because they have a shallow understanding of the two kingdoms doctrine. They don't fully comprehend it. Um, when I was at the seminary, even in Fort Wayne, I love my 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 alma mater, but I don't remember having any coursework in the two kingdoms doctrine specifically. This is stuff that I um, had to study on my own. Uh, uh, but again, it wasn't important necessarily at that time, so it wasn't really coming to to bear. But um, so I think that they have a really shallow view of that. They they see the they see church and state as the way the state would define it. Um, sh- church and state completely and totally separate. One they they can't intermingle at all. That's true in certain circumstances, but the Bible talks about places where they actually meet, where there's actually a place where they dialogue. And, and in fact, Saint Paul gives instructions uh, in First Timothy for ways that Timothy is supposed to engage. Um, so the Bible does talk about these things, and the pastors need to know that. Um, the second thing I would um, I would say is that pastors have somewhat lost a an understanding of what biblical love is, what it means to actually serve in love, and and what I mean by that is um, I've been going around telling folks at a lot of these right to life um, banquets that I've been speaking at. I'm speaking at these things almost twice a week, just about. Um, but I'm telling them that um, we're in the Good Samaritan moment right now, Tyrell. We are in that moment. Uh, it's no coincidence that the Lord, as he tells this teacher of the law who's trying to trap him and test him, it's no coincidence that he puts the characters in the story as clergy. Um, we clergymen should think about that. Um, here is a person in desperate need, uh, and the first person to come by is a priest. But what does he do? He has to walk by on the other side. He's too busy. He's got priestly stuff to do. He's got to write a sermon. He's got to get Sunday school curriculums together. He's got to, you know, do all these things. And then who comes by next? The Levite. You know, he he's got to go sac- offer the sacrifice. He's got to do these the, the Levitical things. It doesn't have time for that. And the point being, what what is love? love the opposite of this love is not hate, but the opposite of 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 this love is indifference. Mm-hmm. If if God were to show the opposite of love to us, He would have left us. A long time ago, but instead, in love for us, what does he do? He punishes. He 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 corrects. He he does these things. He acts for the sake of justice too. So so, what is it that um, is missing in this image? I, I would usually say something like, you know, for crying out loud, just help the dying man. Right. You know, in the idea of of life, you know, go write your sermon, but that child in the womb who's being aborted is never going to get to hear it. <laughs> it's not going to be. It's oh, not going to be sitting. Yeah. It's not going to be sitting in your Sunday school class one day, learning this wonderful gospel. There will be time for God, for the gospel. There will be, but in the meantime, show love, 
show that love and act where action is needed. Um, so, so I think there's kind of a, a really shallow understanding of that. And then the last thing I would say is what you said, they're afraid. Um, and who are they afraid of? Everybody listening to this radio station right now, <laughs> the people who are driving in their cars, who, if they get ticked off at their pastor, um, I, I always say to folks, not always, but sometimes say, I'm one, I'm one word away from ticking off everybody in my congregation. That's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> but we're in this together. We, we preach the truth, but we also preach the stuff that stings. Um, and we have to be uh, unabashed in our ability to do that. But they know that if they say the wrong thing, what's going to happen? Uh, the world is going to judge them as the world does, and that's by numbers, by giving, by, you know, by all those kinds of things. Um, pastors have to get to that that point, um, and it wasn't easy for me to get there, but I, I think I am there now. Uh, they have to get to that point where they realize that the only thing they really have to lose is Christ. Um, nothing, nothing else matters. Um, if you can, if you can exist in your calling, recognizing that um, there's a lot you can accomplish in these in this regard. But pastors are afraid, and rightly so. They're afraid of their people. Um, I wrote a book about it. You know that, 10 Ways to Kill a Pastor. That's I mean, right. yeah. it, There's 10 chapters on how people kill their pastors. <laughs> so, um, and do they you do find it some of it is afraid of their own inadequacy to handle the subject? Because it's we're not well-trained in political discourse, right? In in thinking about these things, not just, not just from the seminary standpoint, but just as a people, it, in grow, growing up in our day and age, we are taught not to talk about politics, right? That's right. the common thing. Uh, not, don't talk about religion and politics. Well, but that again, I think, is that imposition of a false understanding of the two kingdoms. You know, yeah. you know, everybody comes at you waving the Johnson Amendment in your face, and I think I can maybe name three times in the history of the Johnson Amendment where it was even thought about prosecuting someone according to it, let actually, let alone actually doing it. There's maybe, you know, so it's never been successfully wielded, and and it's already misinterpreted. There are plenty of things that pastors can do in the political arena, along with Christians as well, as a as a non as a, uh, you know, a uh, not for profit organization. I mean, so so there's a lot of confusion there, um, but yeah, do pastors feel inadequate? Probably, but then I suppose I might aim at them and say, well, do you feel inadequate, um, you know, fixing? The electrical wiring in your house or something but how many of you have done that and how have you learned how to do that you went and you learned it and then you did it um, pastors are already well equipped with so many skills uh, you know uh, homiletics hermeneutics all these various skills where they can learn this material they can learn what's going on and they can take it and they can carry it to their people using these wonderful skills that they have they're really not inadequate um, and as really you said have in the first segment you'll our Lutheran doctrine gives us a leg up. We're actually more qualified than we think we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're actually more firmly set in better, better theology uh, on these things. And and it's all there. It's all there for us to look at. It's all there for us to, to engage and to, to soak up. Um, Luther is so rich uh, in the Two Kingdoms theology material. And then, of course, our, our early, uh, the early church fathers are too. I mean, if you go back and you read Augustine and you read uh, folks like that. And then you compare what some of these guys have written um, with what's going on, let's say, in 1930s Germany uh, between, uh, uh, you know, the German Christians and the Confessing Church. You know, you see things playing out where one group is trying to stay disengaged and the other one knows, because of its theological foundation, that what's happening is wrong and they need to fight it. 
um, you see these distinctions happening, playing out through history. Uh, but Lutherans have access to all of this, and we all and we have that wonderful theology to stand on to go forth. Excellent stuff. Let's take a break. We'll come back for our third and final segment. Thank you for listening out there in Radio Land. We have a wonderful guest today talking about the church engaging in the public square. We'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. You're listening to Cross Defense. We're back with our guest, Reverend Christopher Toma, the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Heartland, Michigan. They had just, just completed a wonderful weekend of public discourse with keynote speakers, headlining speakers, um, who are leading the way in talking about all the things that are going on in our society, political things things that we don't often talk about in the church. We don't talk about nearly enough things we need to be talking about from the pulpit, in the Bible study, political issues that we're all sort of scratching our heads about or banging our heads against the wall over. And this is where we need to learn how to speak about it. And Pastor Toma is doing a good job with his congregation. The congregation's doing a phenomenal job in leading the way in doing this in engaging society and figuring out how to faithfully proclaim the gospel to a hurting and fallen world. Pastor Toma, I'd like to ask you, we have a listener out there who is thinking now, after hearing our first two segments, is thinking, I'd like my congregation to get more involved. I'd like my pastor to, to be able to do these sorts of things and lead us in this kind of way, communicate this stuff to us. I never really thought about it before today. But now I'm thinking about it. And now, yes, I agree. This is right where we need to be engaging. What kind of advice would you give that person? How they can move their congregation toward this kind of engagement in society? Well, there are, I think there are some practical things that people can do to accomplish that. Um, I suppose before you even start, though, you, you sort of have to get a, an understanding of Maybe those three areas that I was talking about before where pastors are sort of um, appearing to be lacking. Um, so, But namely having a, having a grasp on the two kingdoms doctrine. Um, but there are, if, if there seems to be fertile ground there, a good understanding that, yes, the church should be engaging. Um, I think you, you could probably move in some directions to overcome the fear we were talking about. Because if they do have that, that foundation of saying, yeah, we should be doing this. Well, then why aren't we? Well, again, it's probably then pointing toward the fearful thing. So now you got to think a little bit more practically. Um, first of all, I'd say a lot of folks could gain traction here by doing the footwork for the pastor okay. in, in a couple of ways. Um, you and I both know, Tyrell, from serving in parishes that um, it's really nice when someone comes to you and says, 
well, hey, I have a great idea. Um, you should do this, Pastor. And then I, I don't know about you, but I would just kind of look back at them typically now and say, well, that's a great idea. You do it. <laughs> you know, I'm doing I'm doing a thousand other things right now. Um, how can you help it happen? I think it's a great idea, but what can you do to get the footwork done? So um, recognizing again, the pastor um, has lots and lots of skills, um, pedagogically, uh, homiletically, hermeneutically. He's got all these various skills. It would help if someone went out and connected with the local newspaper on behalf of the pastor and connected with the editor and said something like, you know, my pastor, he preached this wonderful sermon last week. Um, could we run it as an op-ed and uh, do the footwork in advance and then go back to the pastor and say, hey, I've connected with the editor. He'd like to run this. Can we run it? Get the pastor in one sense uh, over the fear of putting his stuff out there um, so that uh, there's a connection with the community around him. Um, Another couple of things um, that I think that uh, folks can do is they can pack the court, as they would say. <laughs> um, they can make sure that they are they're working in a way in their congregation. First of all, faithfully, don't undermine your pastor. But if you're mindful of getting this out there, start working to get other people who are mindful of it too, gathered into uh, maybe a group that can that can in some way um, help educate. Um, become people who can voice for their pastor, hey, we support you. We think we're, we're behind you. Um, and that same group be a group of benefactors. Um, getting to conferences where pastors can learn about these things or getting into some of these opportunities with maybe, uh, I, there's various groups that, that will take you to D.C. and sit you down with folks. But um, if you're going to get started that way, that's that stuff can be expensive, hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do that. Prov pay, pay the way for your pastor to do it. You know, put some money aside so that he can start getting invested and engaged in those ways. Um, I think that kind of stuff is good. Um, I think um, also, or, or let me back up. I was saying uh, get people in the right spots. Get people into your board of Christian ed. Get people into your board of elders. Get people into your social ministry board Get who are mindful. So when it does come time to start engaging in certain ways, you'll have critical people in critical spots who can help pull it all together mm. for the entirety of of the congregation. Um, you can all sort of band together. Um, another thing I would suggest too, that if there is some sort of a, and this is where I had said before, I'm one sentence away from ticking everybody off. Um, if there is in any way a predisposition in the congregation um, to, to be uh, like the culture, you know, to think that um, in order to engage with the culture, we have to be like the culture, do what you can to uproot it. Get behind your pastor and encourage him not to be an entertainer, not to be a rock star, not to be any of that stuff, but to be a churchman, mm. be a person of substance. When he goes out and around, he's in his collar. He's not wearing his Hawaiian shirt. He's making it so that the church is as the church is to be, which is distinct from the world around her. Um, and if you want, if you need a cop in a dangerous situation, you're going to go to the cop that looks like a cop. If you're in a situation uh, where you need a pastor, you're going to be able to find one. Um, that's why I was accosted as I was in, in D.C., because I was I was with a whole bunch of pastors, but I was the only one that looked like one. Mm. So I had the conversation with the people on the that, that moved the ball down the field when none of the other ones were able yeah. to do that. So encourage the pastor to be distinct from the world and, and make the church that, too. Because, by the way, the people who are suffering and starving in our culture for this stuff are looking for walking into a holy space where they know God is present just by uh, the aura of it. Right. So um, so I, I would keep those kinds of things in mind. Um, I think something else, I'm 
I'm uh, I, I think which I think I already uh, mentioned um, again is that benefactor idea and that's really really important um, helping to to be those the support for that pastor show him that um, he is not alone um, but that if he starts to move in these directions to help he's not going to get pummeled he's going to have people who are there to support him uh, on this topic as we're thinking about what people can do to move forward have you given any thought I'm sure you have how did looking backward how did we as a denomination or just the church at large in America, how did we get to a point where we really have to work at this, that it's not just common for Christian churches to be talking about social and political issues that are obviously theological, that are obviously appropriate to be talked about in church. How do we get to a point where we expect our pastor not to be doing that, where we actually, many of us demand that he avoid certain topics? How did that happen? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's somewhat of a nature to the whole thing, too. Uh, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, look at our uh, look at our dogmatics textbooks. You know, you've you, you go in and you look at them and when they were written and you see that, um, you know, certain certain critical issues were being discussed at the time. So the textbook is going to be aimed at those in particular. So, um, you know, the issue of the resurrection wasn't a problem, so we have two pages for that, but the incarnation of Christ was a huge issue, so we've got 200 pages on that. <laughs> so, I mean, as we're moving along uh, in, our, in our world, particular issues come to the forefront. I was noticing in our uh, TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, the old Red hymnal, um, that there are some beautiful hymns in there that talk about uh, the concern that we should have for our lives as American citizens, as, 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 as Christians living in a country where um, we're able to free, uh, able to express freely our love for God. Now, there are a couple of them in there, but they were removed um, going into LW, into the Blue Hymnal, and I think maybe one stayed, but then in the, the LSB, they're completely gone. And why is that? Well, I think because, like you were saying, uh, there's somewhat of a complacency that, well, these aren't things we're going to have to worry about. You know, we we have it. We're in a Christian nation. You know, blah blah blah. Why why worry about these things? So even when we were in the in the thick of a real solid maybe identity as a Judeo Christian nation, we had those hymns. But now all of a sudden we don't have them anymore, and we're having the problems that we've got. Um, it, it's it's somewhat showing a, a strange flow. We're aiming our hymnody in other ways when those are places where they should be aimed as well. Um, I think uh, I think, you know, as time goes on, we lose pieces, but we also gain pieces. Um, I don't know if I'm answering. Your no, question. that's great. That's wonderful. I, and actually, that is answering the question. It, the, the culture oftentimes reflects in the church, right? I mean, we we recognize this that wherever the church is, whatever type of culture it's planted in, you see. Unfortunately, you end up seeing aspects of that culture in a negative sense, right? Which I love that you, you gave that great word of warning to guard against thinking that if the church is going to reach people, it has to look like the culture. We are meant to be set apart. We are set apart. Well, how do you, how can you be set apart and be the same, right? It's well, I think, you know, Willimon, um, Willimon observed some time ago that the culture is just something that we're chasing after. It's always, you know, the church wants to sort of be able to communicate to the culture, um, and so it chases after it. But it's already—it's always running up to the station after the train has already left. You know, I mean, we just—we can't keep up with it. It's not—but the problem—I guess the, the big bait and switch there is that we don't have to. 
We don't have to. Um, we, we are the church. We be the church. We are distinct from the world around us. And um, we, we're not going to try to assimilate ourselves into the world around us. We're going to be who we are with the expectation that the world is going to come into who we are. Um, so if, if we're singing and preaching and teaching and, and remaining steady in all of that, um, that's a very good thing. But we, we do find a lot of churches are just, they get so comfortable in the culture, they say to themselves, well, for example, I, I had plenty of conversations a long time ago. When I was talking about how, uh, you know, we're a year, we're, I would say we're five years away from legalized same-sex marriage uh, and never-ending mantra of that'll never happen, that'll never happen, that'll never happen. It actually happened a year after I started pressing it in some of the speeches I was giving. Mm. So it did happen. But then, you know, they move on, the church moves on to the next thing. You know, uh, uh, religious liberty—they're uh, never gonna—they're never gonna take away 501c3 statuses. They're never gonna. There are court cases happening in states all over the country right now where they're trying to crush these things. Uh, it is happening. Um, don't ever say it'll never happen because it will. But we get so complacent as if you know what we have is going to be here forever. It's not going to be. Um, Luther's the one who said that God's grace in a nation will move on like a refreshing rain shower after a while to go somewhere else, especially when folks are rejecting God and, and his word, um, not taking it very seriously. Do you have any words of wisdom for the upcoming election? You have the mic, my friend. You're, you have a listenership out there across the world, but uh, big listenership here in America. We're coming up on an election. What would you, what are you telling your people? And what would you I'm tell the rest my of us? Are you sure you want me to tell you what I... <laughs> yes, let's put our money where our mouth is. And uh, yeah, what, what do you say, Pastor Toma? Well, I, I, I will simply say that um, we have a very clear choice. Um, the, the scriptures uh, would urge us uh, to vote uh, according, uh, vote for the candidates who are most closely aligned with the will of God. Uh, it's the duty of the Christians to know which uh, issues are most important. Um, which ones are the hard stops, which are the ones that cross the boundaries and go into the borderlands of uh, beyond the Ten Commandments, uh, beyond the gospel of Christ. Um, if your pastor is at all being serious about this, he's going to be laying out in front of you that you have two clear choices right now. Um, you have a platform um, that aligns most closely with the Word of God, uh, and you have a platform right now that is, that is dead set upon crushing uh, everything uh, that would be in alignment with the will of God. So I'm telling my people to discern that, and by discerning that, there is there is one choice for a presidential candidate. Uh, Donald Trump is that choice. Um, I I would uh, people would say, well, how can you vote for such a guy of of low character and crass, so crass and blah blah blah. Uh, some folks will come in and say, well, I'm I'm not voting for I'm not voting for a pastor. I'm voting for someone who is moving policy forward most closely aligned with the will of God. Um, that is that candidate. Um, I'm, what comes to mind, too, somebody like uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, they, he wanted Grant to fight uh, for the North. And uh, and people said, oh, but he's a drunkard and, you know, he's, you know, he's a philanderer and he's all these things. And Lincoln just kept coming back at him. Yeah, but can he fight? <laughs> uh, you know, can he win? Um, we can talk about these other things later, um, but can he win the war? That's what we're after. We have not had, a, a, let's say, a single issue here, abortion, which is very, uh, very close to my heart. I, I fight very diligently against abortion. We have not had in the history of the United States a president who has been who has been or has accomplished more for the pro-life movement than Donald J. Trump. 
just not it's just never happened not any of the presidents before him uh, and he by his boldness he is leading a lot of these mushy bible-based conservative leaders into those into that fray to where they stand with spines finally mm. so we're seeing uh we're seeing things accomplished we uh, have never seen accomplished before from someone we never would have expected and in our right mind would never have pulled the lever for willingly uh, uh but here we have <laughs> here we have someone who is a clear distinction from the works of darkness and and so I'm encouraging my people, you, you have to discern these things and you have to choose accordingly. Wow. Powerful, wonderful. Thank you very much for that boldness and, and showing us how that's done. I, You're not going to get in trouble for me? Uh, I don't know. I'll, promoting I'll, a candidate? <laughs> we'll find out. But what you I'm not did, promoting him. I'm, yeah, exactly. And that's just it. You know, again, Johnson yeah. Amendment, garbage, whatever. Okay, I'm not promoting him. I'm telling the people— and that's it. Choose yep. according to the will of God. And here's the candidate most closely aligned with it. Yep. And that's what I appreciated. You gave us an example of how pastors can do this faithfully. You can yes. even eventually name names. But you, but before you named the name, you said, this is what I'm doing. I'm encouraging people to discern for themselves where the distinction is. And I mean, you're a person too. And you're just, you're discerning and you're distinguishing. And you're saying, well, this is how it breaks down. I mean, right. There is objective truth here. We are looking at the same thing, right? Where it's not mileage may vary situation. There is those who are working against theological, biblical worldview issues. And there are those who, whose actions, even though in other parts of their character are questionable here on these theological issues, they are working with us. And it's pretty clear. So uh, I think it's great. And uh, yeah, consequences be what they are. We have to be men of character and integrity and and do what we say we're doing. And I thank you, Pastor Toma, for taking the time this last hour to teach us what you guys are doing in Heartland, but to teach us pastors, especially those pastors who are listening, how to do this in a way that is God-pleasing, winsome, bold, and affecting change. Thank you so much for your time. I'd love to have you back on the show for more of this, um, and we can certainly continue this conversation and continue to grow as a church body, as Christians, in this very needed area of discourse. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. And and well done, Tyrell. You're doing a great job, and uh, you're 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 uh, you are a uh, force to be reckoned with um, in Radio Land too. I would. Um, <laughs> Jeez, keep, thanks. Keep keep at it. Um, providing these opportunities for people, it it makes a difference. It's a big deal. Well, I appreciate it. Have a great afternoon, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Cross Defense on KFUO.org. You just spent the last hour with me, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, and our guest from Michigan, the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Heartland, Pastor Christopher Toma, who's doing wonderful things with his congregation, engaging the public square. They have an annual conference in October called The Body of Christ and the Public Square. If you're interested in that, I would encourage you to find a way to get a hold of Pastor Toma If you're a pastor or a lay leader, you can get complimentary tickets to next year's event and engage and follow along that way. We'll see you next Monday right here, same cross-defense time, same cross-defense channel. Until then, God's peace.
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.